Omanjika Harimai, welcome to the Trans-Tasman uh, Project podcast. Uh, my name is Matt Sykes and along with Claire Wilde, we're absolutely uh, stoked to be uh, sharing this podcast focusing on regenerative design. So uh, we've got three uh, people from uh, either side of the Tasman that we'll be going to be uh, talking to throughout this discussion and looking at the way that regeneration is uh, evolving through design. Uh, and how people listening to the podcast can start to implement or explore some of these themes in their own work. Before we kick off, we'd like to acknowledge um, those First Nations connections to each of the places that we're coming from in this conversation, um, both in Aotearoa uh, and the different iwi that are connected to the, the communities um, that may pop up in the, in the work that we're doing um, today, and also the First Nations communities here in uh, Australia. Um, for me, that's the Boonarong and Boonarong people of the Kulin Nation. So really acknowledging those traditions of, of caring for, um, uh, for caring for country or Papatuanuku um, through the work that we, we each do. Alrighty, so we're going to dive into regenerative design and we've got three amazing people uh, that are going to be profiling their work. So we have Claire Bowles from ITC uh, Architects. We have Matt Fellingham from Lumen & Co and Jess uh, Palalangi from Arkina um, in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Jess, I'm going to come straight to you. Maybe just kick off with a little bit about yourself and, and how uh, you explore regeneration through your creative practice. Um, thanks, Matt, for that quick intro. Uh, my name is Jessica Palalangi, uh, currently residing in Mangafau in Tamaki. So I um, also want to acknowledge the iwi who have ancestral links to this uh, land. Um, my ancestral links are also to Niue Nukututaha, which is uh, also known as the Rock of Polynesia, um, and then all the way to Aberdeen in Scotland. Um, a little bit about me, I'm currently um, working in the capability team here at Arkina, which is really um, work that I haven't done before around social enterprise and talking to lots of different organizations about where they're at on their journey. My other um, interests and I guess things that I do, I'm part of a collective that's originally based in the UK. Um, so I'm a founding member of that, it's called Inter-Island Collective. It's a bunch of queer tangata moana misfits um, is how we kind of call ourselves. And we're based over there in the Valley of the Colonizer, just chilling out and trying to disrupt and generally cause um, a bit of chaos. So um, yeah, regenerative design to me. Um, I don't know if we want to kick into that right away. I'd love to hear about our other peeps on the show and then we can circle back if that's okay, Matt. Yeah, let's do it. That sounds perfect. Thanks, Jess. Matt, I'm going to pass across to you. And just uh, listeners, you, you might be confused. There are two Claire's and two Matt's in this conversation, but passing across to you, Matt Fellingham. There we go. I'm unmuted. I do apologise. Morning, everybody. My name is Matt Fellingham. I'm a proud Awabakal man. I'm living uh, in the Darawal Nation. So I'd like to thank the traditional owners of the land that we're on today, um, the Dural people, um, the elders past, those that are here now, and those that are emerging um, on Aboriginal land that was, always will be Aboriginal land. So I'm really honoured to, to be in this space today. 
Um, I'm the owner of Luminum Co. And I also do consultancy and design through FCAD, Fellingham Consultancy and Design, where I um, basically look at um, a way of fusing contemporary with cultural design and elements uh, to create really beautiful pieces. Awesome. Thanks so much, Matt and Claire. Bowles, passing across to you. Yeah, awesome. Um, firstly, thanks, Matt. Um, it's awesome to be here and to be with uh, fellow disruptors. It's what I like. It's where I like to be. Um, so I'm uh, a mum of two um, and I'm on Bunurong land. And just to say um, thank you to the traditional custodians of this land for their care and custodianship of the lands and waters that I call home here. Um, so I guess... Yeah, so I'm regenerative development lead at I2C Architects. Um, I've worked in sustainability in the built environment for the past sort of 15 years. I am originally from that colonizer crew, much to my um, shame and uh, yeah, not overly happy about it, but it's my role to um, make some of those wrongs right. So um, I'm, yeah, found my home at I2C Architects and um, they're generally a great bunch of people trying to do some really good stuff in the world. And um, they're fully supportive of my work in this space in regenerative design. And they, they totally um, just kind of make it possible for me to be able to try and shift the way that architects think and, and practice, which I'm really grateful for. I'm from the lineage of regenerative practice from Regenesis. So I've learned from um, Bill Reed and Joel Blansberg. Um, amongst others, I also work in um, Carol Sanford's uh, regenerative business community. Um, so that's kind of my lineage. And uh, hopefully I can share a little bit of that with you today. Yeah, brilliant. So we have a, a really re remarkable weaving of First Nations as well as Western perspectives on regeneration and design coming through in this conversation. So it's going to be nice to see the, the way that that unfolds. And maybe we'll launch in there. So I guess one of the dialogues that we explore uh, through this podcast is really how uh, there's this great need to shift beyond sustainability in our thinking where I, uh, particularly in a, a business context, sustainability often manifests as trying to minimise harms to, you know, local communities or local environments, whereas uh, regeneration opens up the potential to create these diverse benefits uh, and it actually reframes the way that we grow and approach our work. But, yeah, curious maybe to loop back to you, uh, Jess, uh, pick up where you, you were hinting there on your own take on regeneration and creative practice and and how you see that yeah um thanks man it's it's really interesting when um i, I was first asked to think about regenerative design um obviously i, I have a background in sustainability so i understand from that context what we mean about um doing more good rather than less harm um, as, as sort of like strap lines. But I really started to think about what did it mean in real terms and what does it mean for me personally? And um, I think, you know, hinting to this disruptiveness that um, I, I like to partake in, which I think is more accessible on a creative, uh, on the creative elements. So, um, you know, one example I think was which I think is part of regeneration and this idea of re, you know, reclaiming narratives and retelling stories um, was we were part of a, 
the Royal Academy um, showed um, Oceania, which was a massive exhibition of Māori and Pasifika uh, works that were uh, stolen slash um, given to lots of museums around the world. And, um, you know, it was this really, this real tension of this push-pull of being shown at this um, you know, uh, institution, which is, you know, uh, lauded, but then also having this um, real pain and uh, uh, dislocation from the connection of those tanga, of those objects. And so, you know, what we did was we went into that space and moved through as a collective, as a family, and um, actually activated which we call is sort of speaking to, singing with, introducing ourselves again to all of these taonga. Um, uh, we chose the last Sunday that the exhibition was going to close, so it was massively packed in London. Um, but it was really, we had a really great relationship with the um, front of house crew at the Royal Academy, and they were really, um, really understanding and, and trying to um, shepherd us through in a way that was safe. So I felt like we had made connections with them. So that was really good. And they went on this journey with us about learning about where we were um, and where we wanted to be in terms of this taonga and this relationship that we have. You know, these things are alive with, with life force, with uh, lineage, genealogy. And so um, I feel like that regeneration, that, that kind of idea of life is conducive to more life um, you know so what we create comes from this idea of us um, continuing cultural practices continuing to live and exist and not be um, static so yeah that's just one example I can think of. Thank you Jess it's yeah it's going to be interesting to see how these themes evolve but there's something coming through there around understanding how the the importance of rekindling and the regeneration of culture is also related to the regeneration of places and, and economies and, and practice like that and all being inter, interlinked. And this tendency that we have in the Western world to put things into silos, you know, um, is often the root cause of a lot of the systemic issues that we, we have. I want to then flip across to, to Claire. It would be really interesting to get your take on the way that you see regenerative design uh, through, yeah, your, your experiences with Genesis and so on. Thanks, Matt. Um, so just following on from what Jess said, really, that really resonated with me, um, talking about regeneration as that flow of life force. And I always like to think that actually when we're talking to regeneration, we are talking about the co-creative process of um, bringing life, um, you know, and that takes um, holding a systemic view of the world and holding a living systems view, which is the bit that I think regenerative design can help us with. So it's, you know, how can we um, shift from that mechanistic mindset that we've been framed and educated and brought up in um, so that we can actually hold the complexity of living systems and actually work to realign ourselves with them. Um, and to bring life in that way. So I guess my experience with, with Regenesis, back to Matt, um, is that actually we learn to use and to hold frameworks. So they help us organize our thinking and to be able to view complexity and actually talk um, in a way that shifts people's thinking 
from from thinking in parts and silos and mechanically. So I guess I could just give an example. So there's a framework that we use that's called the three lines of work. Um, so the third line is to do with, say it's to do with improving the health and vitality of um, a whole system. Um, and that could be a community or it could be a bioregion or a watershed. Um, but then if you think about the second line, that's, um, I guess, me working to build the capacity of our teams to be able to deliver that third third line aim. So for them to be able to work to actually deliver that overall vision for a thriving um, community or bioregion. But then none of that can happen without the first line of work, which is me working on my own systems and myself to ensure that I'm actually best placed to be able to be vital and to give energy and to give life force to those teams to be able to deliver the work in line with the team. So it see, seems crazy, but it's a way that you can actually see nested systems and you can hold them and you can work on all three levels simultaneously. Um, I hope you can kind of see that. It's difficult to do without drawing pictures. Um, but yeah, if one of those falls away, what ends up happening is that I revert to working mechanically. Um, and so it's, it's a way of working, I guess, systemically. Um, so that's kind of example of the way that we would approach things. Yeah, we would use lots of different frameworks so that we are constantly working systemically, thinking systemically and, and seeing things, um, I guess, as nested systems that influence and impact each other. Does that help? <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. And I think it's really, it's, it's so interesting to hear the different tools in a ways that you're, you're each thinking about this because there are such a diversity of perspectives within our world and within the design profession, for instance, that, you know, then we need these different entry points as well um, because it helps us, else helps navigate ourselves. Matt, I'm going to pass across to you again and curious to hear how you frame regenerative design, but perhaps through the example of a, a project and the way that you've seen the the benefits to different kinds of stakeholders come through that unique approach that, that you take? I thank you. I think it's really important, um, you know, to, to work with the traditional owners of the land that you're on and hear their point of view or the perspective, you know, the traditional owners, the stakeholders and the engagement process that we do is, you know, a yarning circle and opening up, you know, a, a space of active listening and understanding and with no boundaries or egos, you know, we've all been given this title where we walk around and say, I'm the director and I'm the manager and I'm this, but in a yarning circle, everyone is equal and everyone's understanding and knowledge is shared and valued. Um, if we go in with that process of actually active listening to people's voices and then uh, you know, coming up with an answer that speaks with country and to country and reflect that out through the design. I think that's a great way to start. You know, it's, it's you know, and I've seen a lot of process happen where, um, you know, 99% of the project is done and then they say, oh, we needed to get the Aboriginal voice, you know, and, um, or we've got, you know, $20,000 $20, left of a budget. We need a painting or a yarning circle or, you know, this, you know, um, a bush tucker garden, was that reflective of what actually was there? You know, is the place that you're putting the yarning circle right to be there? You know, creating regenerative design that actually reflects on the Aboriginal voice. Is it sustainable? 
Is it listening? Is it active listening? Um, even when it comes down to a name or what has been um, happening there, you know, we don't really want to build something about sustainability or beauty or, or um, without actually listening to the elders. We're not going to put on a massacre site, you know, Celebration Avenue, and then expect people to have a yarning circle there. And, you know, under this, you know, Celebration Avenue, you've got, you've got to listen to country and everything that surrounds it. Um, you know, and that's what, um, you know, having a yarning circle, what we've got today is having people's point of views and listening with intent. There's something really strong here in that listening practice. Uh, the words of a mentor, actually, a book, um, a fellow called Jim Sinatra and Finn Murphy um, was his uh, business partner. And they wrote a book, uh, Listen to the People, Listen to the Land. And that was the underpinning of all of their landscape architecture work. I'm, I'm really curious to maybe dive into, you know, this aspect of what that listening process how that reflects in each of your work because we one of the things that we pick up in this uh, podcast is around being unapologetically bold and one of the things that people seem to be really uncomfortable about is actually what is it to like what is it like to listen to the earth what is it like to listen to country and putting ourselves and sometimes that means going into um uh, understanding the pains and, and the scars that are still in in country and how we can explore them together uh Maybe, um, Matt, I might come back to you, actually, just to see if you there's more to continue on that thread. Well, definitely. You know, it's more than just, you know, taking a name and going through a ticket box approach where we're sitting there and listening to, you know, the Aboriginal people. We're still going to go away and, and create and design, you know, this other mentality of what they've been taught at university. If you're going to have... Um, uh, you know, uh, traditional knowledge holders and traditional owners and stakeholders that are, are giving this information, it goes beyond the yarning circle. Implement that into the strategy that you're proposing. Work with, you know, Aboriginal businesses, you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander businesses that are registered and certified that can carry out the rest of the work. Because otherwise you're just, you know, listening and then still going to build it your way. You know, even through the building process of actually inviting an Aboriginal uh, company in that's, you know, certified and, and registered, they might also have something to add within the, the materiality process and incorporating something into the design aspect or, or the, the fauna and flora, you know, the, the, the flora that will go into there, you know, the native species. What was there? Putting that back in there. Um, what has been found on the site through great works of Aboriginal archaeologists and, you know, I could rattle off names and, you know, and uh, heritage consultants and, uh, you know, it goes beyond just the planning and getting someone in to take the advice. This goes on to the sustainable outcome for the next generation that are coming through. Jess, really curious to hear your thoughts on this. I think one of the things that uh, through this project and collaboration with Claire Wilde is that uh, we're, we've talked about the way that uh, Te Ao Māori, Māori worldview is, it, it works in parallel. It, seem, it seems, seems to be much more. And I'm, I'm just super curious to hear your, your take on this. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting just building on what um, Matt had said around, um, I, I think one of the things that is quite dangerous at the moment around the region design um, field or thought leadership is this idea that you can borrow indigenous concepts um, because you know it's kind of like 
oh well region design is like grounded in indigeneity but it's kind of like it's more than that you can't just take sound bites concepts fakatoki which is like a proverb um you know even systems thinking it needs to actually be a worldview and one of the things that i think we need to kind of face into is the worldviews are are opposite or almost inverted of each other you know and so it's not just about picking and choosing which ones may fit into our western ways of thinking it's like how do you actually undo all of that unlearn it and then actually place yourself in the world view and then understand from the center outwards what it might look like and so i think for me that's really interesting and it's a place in which um, you know, I've just recently come back to Aotearoa, I was living in London for so long, and so I'm, I feel like I'm just becoming immersed back into what it means to live in Aotearoa now, um, versus when I was in my early 20s and at uni, and also as a, a, you know, a person of the Pacific, what does that mean now, what is my role in understanding this relationship between Tanga Safenua and also um, Pākehā, but also knowing that Aotearoa is part of the Te Nui Kiwa, you know, the great ocean of Kiwa that is one of the biggest masses in the world, put all the land in there and it's still bigger. So, you know, I think for me, it's about how do we start to actually not just take notes from um, Indigenous culture around the world, you know, but actually how do we start changing some of those worldviews those are and those for me that's really hard because I think that's very unsettling for a lot of um especially Pākehā people in Aotearoa um you know so we are a settler colony but we don't view ourselves that way and in their settling they unsettled who was here so it's kind of like we need to start facing into uh you know a whole culture and worldview being destabilized you know and so I think um, when I think about region, that's the bit where I'm like a bit, oh, how do we, you know, how do we face into this? How do we face into this as people within this um, area? But also there are, you know, and there are a few, um, you know, how do we interface better? I think is one of the things that I'm really keen to understand. Yeah. Claire Bowles, coming across to you because I, I guess you're in that position as am as am you know I and and Claire Wilde as well, where um, you talked about in, in your open that that shame or that that unease, um, I guess, with the heritage, but then also the potential to be part of the change. I'm yeah. curious to know how you personally reconcile and grapple with this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tricky. Um, and I think, you know, in all honesty, um, it's something that I do grapple with. Um, but what I keep coming back to is actually the connection that I feel to land, wherever that land may be as a settler here or a settler who's traveled all over. I think um, what I try and encourage especially with our teams and personally is really to get to know the place where you are um, and to walk the land and to connect with the land itself because the land's alive and you know what we need to remember as humans is actually to to unlearn the many things that we've learned through the worldview that was kind of presented to us and given to us um, and seek to sit with that uncomfort discomfort 
um, and find new ways of making sense of what's around us. And, and you know, some of that really for me comes down to a spiritual practice of, of being connected to the land um, and being open to, to listening um, and to seeing what's alive in a place and, and what wants to come to be um, and to actually recognize patterns and look for patterns and, and use those to, to inspire designs. And absolutely, um, it's about having long lasting connections with Aboriginal um, and Torres Strait Islander people and um, other Indigenous and First Nations peoples throughout the world and really looking to them also um, and listening. Um, I've been very fortunate to be part of a group that's been led by Dr. Anne Paulina and Tyson Young-Porter and Victor Stephenson, who are just phenomenal um, Aboriginal uh, leaders here um, in Australia. And I think like Matt, um, for me, what I like to do is listen. Um, I think there's so much wisdom that, that and insight that we can we can take from that. Um, not take is not the right word, but to understand, I think. Um, so yeah, I think for me with people, what I would say is is get out there, listen to country itself, um, and walk country and try and see what your connection is or how you can reconnect to to the land as a living a living being. Yeah, it's a tricky one, Matt. Absolutely. Yeah, of course, it is, is tricky. And maybe, maybe a way of grounding this and giving the listeners a perspective on what this can look like, be nicest to do a bit of a sweep through and, you know, maybe projects that you're working on now that are embodying some of these, these values, these principles um, that we're talking about. And even tension points, things that are that are not not clicking, but uh, you know, coming back to you, Matt, is there a project that you're working on now that you feel like embodies, you know, one of these principles that uh, could be really relatable for those tuning in? I'm working on a, uh, on a couple. I'm actually working with the incredible Claire Bowles and her team at I2C, um, you know, and we've started to work. There's a good, there's a good pitch for you. But, you know, and, and there's conversations that have been had um, with Claire um, and her team, you know, to really respect and reflect and acknowledge the traditional owners and um, understand. Um, and her team really do active listening, um, and, you know, and there's been bold conversations um, with emotion when, you know, things have been brought up about the traditional knowledge. One in particular that I'm working on at the moment is in Parramatta um, with the incredible team at Scott Carver. Um, uh, Nicholas and, and Thomas, um, we've uh, done site activation. So we've actually looked, listened, named place, understood, listened to elders, you know, to really get that echoing voice of the Barramatagal people of the Darug Nation, you know, these voices are echoed throughout the project and at the placeholding of the project, you know, as the project develops and goes through transition into building, of course, new voice will come in, but we really reflected it from the ground up to name a place. You know, this dual naming that people go through now is, um, oh, you know, we'd really like to incorporate dual naming. Why dual name? We've got Wollamaloo, we've got Bondi, we've got all of these sites that are already named, Aboriginal names of the language, of the place to give meaning. It doesn't have to be dual named. It just should be 
Aboriginal and stand for the land that it's on. Flipping back to you, Claire, I'm curious to hear, I mean, Matt put straight up, uh, you know, that collaboration. What's it like from, from your perspective and, and how have you seen that it influenced your colleagues too? Oh, so Matt's just been awesome. Um, it's so nice to work with like a kindred spirit, I would say. Um, he's, he's got a real light that shines. Um, so it's beautiful to bring that to the team. And I've been, I've been blown away with how, um, like Matt said, actually, how kind of, uh, how ITC's approached it um, in the sense of really listening and seeking guidance uh, as to how we move forwards as an organization. Um, and, you know, we work on country. All of our projects are on stolen land. It's, um, it's, it's something that we have such a responsibility to, to deal with and to, to sit with that tension um, of what we do and what it contributes towards. And, and that's, that's good. We're starting our journey, you know, um, and it'll be a long journey and it's, it's going to take time. And I think it will take, it will also involve huge journeys, like personal journeys for each and every person within the organization um, of reflecting on their own, their own views and their own practices and, and the way they are in the world. And, and hopefully we'll foster and grow some beautiful human beings throughout the process. Um, so yeah, thanks for the shout out, Matt. Just <laughs> coming back to you, is there any uh, kind of disruptive examples that you can give uh, that you're working on at the moment? Um, yeah, I mean, I think similar um, to what Matt Clara was saying around working with institutions that, um, are definitely at a, at a different point. Um, we're working with a museum in Scotland at the moment and we've redesigned um, their Oceania gallery, which we've called, um, we would refer to it as Tangatamwana, um, the people of the ocean. Um, and we've, we went on a real journey with them. We, we were able to go up to Scotland and um, share time and space, which was really important. We talked them through sort of um, some of our protocols that are necessary. Um, one of them being kanohi to kanohi, which is, you know, face to face. So it wasn't about going and traveling into their um, space, learning about Paisley and encouraging everyone to locate themselves in their whakapapa and their genealogy um, and how important it is to, to call out those names and to speak those locations. So not just the names of your ancestors, but also where the, you know, the, where you, you know, sort of are connected to in a landscape, which I think is really important. Um, so that was, that was a really great experience of sharing, which reminded me of what you both were talking about and how we were able to inform their point of view and, and our own in terms of what they wanted. Um, we also pitched to um, do a short sort of film for them, which they were a bit shocked about. They were sort of thinking, can you guys make something like that? So <laughs> I think it was quite, that was a sort of um, quite wild for them to think about, like just a group of artists coming together. But in our mind, we were the only ones who really had the knowledge and the, um, you know, the the essence to speak about this tongue that had made the journey across all the Moana to, to Scotland. Um, so, yeah, so I think we, we have had continuous learning. We've been in this relationship for 
two and a half years now. So, you know, I, I just want to speak to the intergenerationality that we both have referred to. A lot of this is, is long game and is about, um, you know, when we say decisions take a long time in, you know, a Moana sense, that's what we mean because we're thinking about time is operating differently. It operates all at the same time and it's um, like a spiral. So, you know, for us, it's like, how will this impact those after who are those before at the same time? So, yeah, I think it's um, about making sure that we are honoring all those aspects of us moving, um, almost orbiting each other, yeah. Well, speaking of wild, Claire Wild has been listening on in this conversation and, and distilling some key themes. Uh, what are you taking out of this conversation, Claire, what's really coming through? Yeah, kia ora. Um, firstly, I've been laughing at my, my teenage self, thinking back to when I took design at school, and I remember we were given this task to do, it was designing a logo, I think, and I just jumped right to the solution, and I said, oh, this, this is a cool logo, and my teacher said, no, no, you have to go through a process to get there, um, and I thought, that seems ridiculous, I've got the answer, why do I need anything else, and I think this conversation is just the absolute polar opposite of um, that sort of very naive experience that I had um, all those years ago. So I think, you know, when I've been hearing um, the three of you talk, Claire, Matt and Jess, um, I think it's sort of the things that really stood out to me were two stages in the design process. So first is, you know, the way you look at the problem that you're trying to solve. Um, Claire, I loved the way that you talked about, you know, regeneration being the flow of life force. And I think something that came through really clearly in what you said was this idea of thinking in systems, not just in parts and sort of holding that complexity and realizing that, you know, problems are big and complex and, and we don't need to try and simplify it down into something that's oversimplified and, and sort of loses all of the beauty and depth um, of the world in which the problem is that we're trying to solve. And Claire, my mentor would kill me if she listens to this podcast and I don't mention that in regenerative practice, we're not allowed to solve problems. So we only work with potential that can emerge. So problem solving is a reductionist mindset. So we would be offering the opportunity to um, explore the emergence of new potential. <laughs> Amazing. All right. I love that. And again, that is such a good lesson for me. Um, so I suppose rather than saying how to solve the problem, I'm wondering, you know, how to um realize the the potential um and the way that you know the three of you talked about doing that was really involving stakeholders from the start in a culturally safe and really meaningful way um listening came through so strongly in what all of you were saying and acting upon what you heard and responding to that and again a really meaningful way and, and avoiding being tokenistic Really importantly, um, that means unlearning things that we may have learnt before and, you know, old ways of doing things that don't serve um, our broader stakeholders anymore. And, and also that idea of not just borrowing Indigenous concepts in a tokenistic way, figuring out how you can truly adopt that, that worldview. And again, unlearning is such an important, an, an important part of that. And finally, I think this is such a strong theme that theme that comes through in so many of our conversations is that idea of partnerships and the role that those always play in helping to realize potential in a really meaningful way mm. wonderful well thank you so much everyone it's been really great to talk to you um 
that wraps us up for our conversation today. Um, so thanks again to, to Claire Bowles, Matt Fallingham, and Jessica Palalangi. Um, and again, as a follow-up, we'll share a link um, with some more information about Matt's project, um, the Church Street Parramatta project. And we really look forward to joining you on our next Trans-Tasman Region podcast episode. <laughs>